Thanks for joining me again on the London Vlogger podcast. I'm Stu, your guide to London's hidden gems, parks, woodlands, riversides, bridges and history. If you'd like to read all my walks, they're available at www.londonvlogger.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud. My journey in today's show begins in the charming little Venice and takes me along the Regent's Canal to an iconic landmark in sport, Lord's Cricket Ground, and concluding at an iconic musical landmark, Abbey Road. Located near Paddington and Maida Vale, Little Venice is a scenic and very picturesque riverside area. Its history can be traced back to the 1810s, when a pool was created where the Regent's Canal and the Paddington Arm of the Grand Junction Canal met. Back then it was known as the Paddington Broadwater, there are a couple of accounts as to where the name Little Venice was coined, one of which was from the poet Lord Byron, who compared this area of Paddington to Venice. An alternative origin came from another poet, Robert Browning. He referenced it while living nearby Warwick Crescent between 1862 and 1887. This led to the island in the middle, christened Browning's Island. It wasn't until after the Second World War that it became Venice, and the 1950s until it was known as Little Venice. The surrounding affluent area has large houses, with many notable residents including entrepreneur Richard Branson and singer Robbie Williams. Around Little Venice you can find riverside cafes and restaurants, whilst enjoying venues such as the Canal Caf Theatre and the Puppet Theatre Barge. By the bridge in Little Venice sits the offices of the Canal and River Trust, who are a charity that are responsible for taking care of 2,000 miles of waterways across England and Wales and who we have to provide a great appreciation to for the wonderful canal walks we have within London. From the peaceful Little Venice I take a walk along the Regent's Canal past the boats and bridges of London's loveliest riverside views. The Regent's Canal opened in 1801 to connect the Grand Junction Canal's Paddington Arm with the Thames at Limehouse. One of the directors of the canal company was John Nash someone who you'll be familiar with from my previous walks. He knew Prince Regent, later King George IV, who allowed his name to be used for the project. In 1812, the Regent's Canal Act was passed, with the company formed and ready to operate along it. James Morgan, an assistant to Nash, was appointed as the canal's engineer, which opened on two stages, from Paddington to Camden in 1816, and the rest of the canal in 1820. However, its completion wasn't without setbacks. William Congreve, who was famous for building military rockets, created the design for a hydro lock at Hampstead Road lock. Unfortunately, the lock was a failure and had to be redesigned in 1819. Another setback was the financial problems that occurred with one of the canal's promoters, Thomas Homer, who embezzled funds in 1815. The canal cost £772,000 to build, twice the original estimated expenditure. The main centre for trade was the Regent's Canal Dock, which was a point for the seaborne cargo from across the world. Traffic and trade along the canal by the 1840s was being taken over by the railways, with a potential attempt without success to turn the canal into a railway line during the 19th century. By 1929, the Regent's Canal, the Grand Junction Canal and the Warwick Canals merged with the Regent's Canal Company, buying the canal assets from the other two parties. 
This resulted in it being renamed the Grand Union Canal Company. In 1948, the canal, like other transport systems, was nationalised and later was operated under the name British Waterways. There hasn't been horse-drawn commercial traffic on the canal since 1956 and by the late 1960s, commercial traffic had vanished. Today it is maintained by the Canal and River Trust, stretching 8.6 miles or 13.8 kilometres long, with many boat trips still organised along it, with cyclists and walkers exploring it too. Walking along this stretch of water, you could easily feel like you're in Amsterdam, with the picturesque plants and pathways. This is the kind of walk that you can enjoy on either a cold winter's day or just as much on a warm summer's day. I think every great walk, not just in London, has to have some form of river or canal in it. I've done many walks along the Regent's Canal and every time it brightens up my stroll. As you leave the Regent's Canal by the beautiful little Caf La Ville, you take a left on the A5 road and keep heading left until you get to St John's Wood Road and as you head up there you arrive to probably one of the most famous cricket grounds and well-known sporting venues in the world, Lord's Cricket Grounds. Now being a fan of cricket, this stop on my walk is extra special. Known as the home of cricket, Lord's Cricket Ground's history can be traced back to 1787, when the Marlborough Cricket Club, or the MCC, was founded. Before a ground was built, the aristocrats and noblemen would play cricket in white conduit fields in Islington. However, as London's population grew and the need for space so crowds could watch them play, they approached white conduit CC's bowler, Thomas Lord. They asked him to create a private ground. Lord was an ambitious entrepreneur and leased a ground on Dorset Fields in Marylebone. It staged its first match between Middlesex and Essex on the 31st of May 1787 and the Marylebone Cricket Club was formed. A year later the laws of the game were laid down, which notably referenced the size of the pitch, 22 yards, and how players could be given out. Even today, the MC still remains in charge of the laws of the game across the entire world. The MCC located to Marlborough Bank near Regent's Park between 1811 and 1813, before moving to the ground we see today in St John's Wood in 1814. Today the ground is the home to Middlesex County Cricket Club and hosts England internationals. It also hosts many corporate events as well as the game of real tennis. Walking past the ground you see the WG Grace Memorial Gates, which were erected in 1923 and gained Grade 2 listed status in 1996. Designed by architect Sir Herbert Baker, they were a tribute to W.G. Grace, who is widely regarded as one of the pioneers of the game and one of the greatest ever players. Along the outside of the ground, you come to the Bicentennial Gates, which were presented by the Duke of Westminster in memory of Viscount Cobham in 1987. Another feature of Lord's is its futuristic-looking media centre, which was designed by Future Systems and opened in 1999, in time for the Cricket World Cup, which was being staged in England that summer. It's now time to move on to my final destination today, and quite possibly the world's most famous crossing, Abbey Road. To get there, you head back down the St John's Wood Road, which you've just come from, and a right on Grove End Road, as you head along there, you come to the famous studios and crossing. The Abbey Road Studios began their life as a 16-room house and were built by EMI in 1929. They opened in 1931. 
with many different studios to accommodate all the varieties of musicians that use them, from orchestras to string quartets to soloists. The Beatles were signed by EMI's Parlophone label in 1962 and made their first recording in the studios in the same year. 90% of their recordings were done in the Abbey Road studios. Other notable artists who recorded there were Pink Floyd, Cliff Richard, The Hollies and even scores from four Star Wars films. However, the studio only gained fame when the Beatles named their second-to-last album Abbey Road, which was released in 1969. Its cover has become one of the world's most iconic photos. This iconic image sees John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Ringo Starr walking across a zebra crossing outside the studio. Originally, the plan for the album cover was to charter a private jet to the Himalayas and shoot it in the foothills of Mount Everest. However, EMI was so desperate to get the product out, they went for a more simpler approach and did the photo outside the studio. The photo was taken by Ian McMillan on a ladder in the middle of the street whilst a policeman stopped traffic. It was photographed at 11.30am on the 8th of August 1969, taking 10 minutes to do. Far more cheaper and simpler than the original plan. Did you know that six photos were taken and it was the fifth photo that was used on the cover. Also, the guy in the background by the car was an American tourist called Paul Cole, who didn't even know it was the Beatles. In 2010, however, the cash-strapped EMI were considering selling the studios, but a few days later it was awarded Grade 2 historical status to help preserve it. Today the crossing is a huge tourist attraction, with many taking photos of themselves walking across it like the Fab Four did. And whilst I was there taking my photos, many frustrated drivers went past with people standing in the middle of the road. It's a strange feeling when you're there, as you don't really feel like you're next to an historical landmark, but its musical significance is massive. I hope you've enjoyed joining me on my walk today, which has explored the picturesque canal views and sporting and musical renowned spots. Before I end the show, as I've walked through a sporting landmark on my walk, it has got me thinking of the other sporting locations I've passed on my walks on my blog. These have included everything from Fulham's football ground, Craven Cottage, to the Olympic Park in Stratford, Twickenham Stadium and Twickenham Stoop, to Crystal Palace's Athletic Stadium and the Oval Cricket Ground. But of course I've only scratched the surface, as London has so many other sporting places such as Chelsea Stamford Bridge, to Arsenal's Emirates, to even Wimbledon Tennis. What's your favourite sporting stadium or location in London? I'd love to know. Or if you'd like to get in touch with me for any other reason, if you have memories of London or stories of London to share, you can get in touch with me at londonvlogger at gmail.com or on social media at londonvlogger on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Well, thanks for joining me. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud. Until next time, stay safe and well and I look forward to you joining me on my next walking adventure.